we got we got to the end of this series of meetings and this uh, this Godfather like scene then unfolded where oh dear. The, the CMO slowly stood up, walked behind the French lawyer, slowly took off his jacket and then slammed it down on the table next to him and fired him. My name's Mike Lander, and you're listening to Marketing Negotiations, the good, the bad, and the ugly, in partnership with The Drum, where we bring you negotiation insights from CMOs, agency leaders, and acclaimed authors. Anthony, uh, welcome to The Drum's Marketing Negotiations podcast. It's a real pleasure having you as a guest. Oh, thanks, Mike. It's it's great to be here. Real honour. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so, uh, before we start, a few words of introduction. Uh, obviously, we had a conversation beforehand. Uh, you wrote a few notes down. Um, you know, Anthony, uh, Anthony Groves, um, 20 years advertising and marketing communications experience, B2B uh, and B2C. Uh, you also run a business in manufacturing, retail, and catering. Uh, you've got a background, uh, unique depth and breadth of commercial experience, as well as a proven executive track record for delivering growth across some of the world's biggest companies. Passions, so uh, you've got uh, knowledge and experience in the commercial field, defining characteristics that are valued by many of the global marketing and procurement professionals, obviously close to my heart, that uh, you work with today. Uh, You're based in the UK, uh, where you live on a working farm with your wife, three children, mother, cat, dog, and various chickens, uh, counting fell running, windsurfing, snowboarding, surfing as your main interests. And you've also completed a 65-kilometer ultramarathon in the Black Mountains in Wales. Do you want to just talk about that for a second? Because that's slightly unusual. <laughs> it is slightly unusual. It was a slightly unusual experience altogether, actually. Um, <laughs> I bet. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I, so I started running back um, at the beginning of, of lockdown, actually, as, as much to keep the sort of COVID wolves from the door as anything. Um, yeah. But it's it's re- really become my sort of headspace. It's it's where I sort of do my best thinking, running out with my dog Sky and trails. And um, I was in the pub one one day, as all good ideas have as their nascency. And uh, a mate and I said, uh, should, should, "Should we do an ultra? See see what that's wow. like." So we looked it up and did some training, and off we went. But uh, it was an amazing experience. Amazing wow. experience. Okay, not something I could do, but <laughs> I admire you for it. That's for sure. So the broad topic we're going to cover today is um, how to get the very best out of any business as a procurement or commercial specialist, because obviously you span both. So let's kind of start off with, um, can you explain a bit about your background and where kind of this journey began? Yeah, sure. So so I I started off in sales, um, telesales actually, um, and quite quickly worked out that wasn't for me. Uh, and I joined a small B2B advertising agency down in Brixton, um, which then led to my being actually headhunted by Cara uh, to come and run Dell's integrated marketing communications across Europe, um, which then quite rapidly led into running the account um, as a sort of global client lead. And I loved that because it it sort of really brought together the intersection of creative, data, consumers, and also a a relentless pursuit of growth, which is what Michael Dell has always excelled in. 
And and we did that, right? It was integrated D2C marketing communications, which actually little was to that I didn't know it at the time, but just prepared me so brilliantly for what the future held for our industry, which is, you know, very much D2C driven um, and understanding how to drive growth at the intersection of all of the capabilities which agencies bring to the table. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. That said, it was very, very intensive. Um, So, you know, after seven years of what I ultimately came to be doing, which was coaching a lot of the new starters joining Dell's organization as to how to to manage and drive growth across the business because they have a rotation program, right? Which basically is after 18 months, you've got to move on to a new role. Whereas I didn't, I'd been there for seven years. So um, <laughs> but that, that was really interesting. But ultimately after seven years, I, I needed to make a bit of a change. And, and so I set off and actually set up my own business in a, in a completely different sector. Yes. So kind of the next part of the journey, where did that take you next and why? Oh, I mean, like left field and then some. Um, so I, I basically set up a business around a product which I designed, which was a table barbecue. Um, and think for this sort of teppanyaki Korean style barbecue gas fired that allows you to sit around a table with eight mates and cook food. Um, it was basically reinventing a category and then some. But, you know, it, it took me into an amazing, amazing world of subject matter expertise and specialisms. So, you know, we were designing the product, we were manufacturing it, we were retailing it, we were marketing it, we were managing wholesale between ourselves and retailers, distribution, servicing. And that took me into, because we had effectively an experiential marketing platform, that took me into dealing with everyone from environmental health officers to ISO manufacturing standards to CE marking to gas line testing and then every facet of sales marketing and every other specialism in between. And so, um, and actually what I'm describing is a very complex business um, that ultimately became our downfall. We, we were doing too much and we were too small to do as much as we did. Um, but we had an absolute blast doing it. What I did learn coming out of that, and I did that for five years, um, was how to run a business, how to become very confident around some very specialist environments and how that holds you in unbelievably good stead when negotiating or dealing with stakeholders across your supply chain, whether partners, suppliers, clients, customers, wholesalers, um, manufacturers, just understanding the detail is such an important facet to good business management and being able to have a handle across that. So, you know, it was a great learning curve, but really the three things I took out of that is know the details, understand the needs both of, I guess, your own organization, but but also the counterparty. So who are you dealing with? What do they need? And then also really how to build relationships with stakeholders over time because you know you never know when that when when you'll need them um absolutely and in fact, that that stakeholder piece comes back time and time again throughout our kind of discussion around negotiations and we'll cover that later on but 
So Nate's kind of like, so how does that take you into one of the largest holding groups in the world, uh, billions of dollars of marketing spend under management, and where negotiation is, I mean, call it a daily ritual, it's certainly a daily habit, I suspect. Um, what does that entail today? Yeah, so it sort of took me back home, really, because I'd, I'd obviously spent seven years at Cara doing direct marketing and driving growth at an integrated level for for Dell. And really, I was coming back to the same organization, just in a different guise. So I, I left as client lead, and I, I returned in a very commercial capacity where my role was commercial director of the UK on the executive board to help drive sustainable, profitable growth at the intersection of our brands and our services. And so what, what a great, great opportunity. And, you know, I was joining the business there as uh, a lead to try to drive growth by integrating the needs of what our clients have and the needs that our own business holds. And so it was really an exercise in what you referred to earlier, stakeholder management, stakeholder management internally as well as with our clients. Um, and I was successful. I, I enjoyed it. Um, the business grew very positively um, as, a, as a result. And actually, after a relatively short term of sort of 18 months, I got asked to move into a global role um, by our then CFO, who actually is now the global CFO of Dentsu Group, Nick Priday. Um, and I actually said no initially. I, I didn't want to do it. Um, I wanted to stay in the UK. Um but he uh, he's quite persuasive, and and um, I ended up by 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 doing that. Um, and and now today I'm you know global chief commercial officer, working across all of our service lines and supporting our our stakeholders at large achieve you know the, the goals and outcomes that they want, which very often relates to CMOs of some of the largest brands in the world. And what a massive privilege, um, you know, just just getting to to, to apply everything I learned on Dell but also the commerciality of what I learned over those five years running my own business and then bringing that to bear at scale with a, a train set the size of Dentsu is a, is a huge amount of fun. It really is. And you kind of, you cross over uh, procurement and um, at marketing in terms of, if I'm right, you're on the buy side and on the sell side, correct? Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, across, across the group, um, I've got responsibility for um, all of our commercial operations as well as our procurement operations as as it relates to um, our enterprise level costs. And you know they're 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 really two two sides to the same coin, procurement and um, I think commercial, obviously my counterparties in many of the client conversations I have will be procurement specialists. Um, I am a, a commercial specialist, but also have remit for procurement within our organization. And I think, you know, procurement and commercial have a very similar remit, right? Which is to understand um, to a very T-shaped level how our organization works. Um, and that means getting involved in a lot of the details that involves understanding your stakeholders, right? So, and I always talk and coach, you know, our, our organization around client first, a client first mentality. That, that client may be an internal stakeholder, right? That, that client could just as easily be a CMO or a CPO or a CTO in your client organization. And, and understanding that you always need to be putting those people 
those people's requirements ahead of your own is a is a really important part of of how we work i think um but at a at a much broader level just mapping stakeholders and understanding stakeholders i think is so so important because you know left unmanaged a single stakeholder um with the wrong messaging at the wrong time delivered by the wrong person a tiny nuance can upset an entire process and lead to the wrong outcome and and that involves ultimately collaborating um across the intersection of your own organization and also the organization you're facing into and that and that's why people in procurement and commercial tend to be quite busy because we have to collaborate the whole time in order to be successful um and but i think that's part of the fun right that's exactly. part of the fun so um in terms of like that diversity of your career so you've got obviously a very diverse background mm-hmm. do you think it's helped you make a become a, a, a better commercial leader and also a better negotiator yeah, un- undoubtedly, because you know, from from where I started um, out in sales, um, I, I actually started off by, as I say, doing telesales, which became a commission only role. And if you don't sell, you don't earn. So yeah. <laughs> learn very quickly how to um, hone the craft of a good narrative. Then running Dell for seven years was just integrated D to C marketing communications um, with the most incredible train set to. To, to play with. And, and it was that. It was, you know, we had 18 consecutive quarters of accurately forecasted growth. But then running your own business just helps you really understand, you know, the language of business. And, you know, I think Warren Buffett describes the language of business as, a, as, as akin to a foreign language. It's something you need to practice and learn um, in order to be able to, you know, use it effectively. And and actually, the language of business is something which you know I'm obviously very familiar with, having run my own, and and that's what I bring to bear really on on how we how we operate. But I think that, that the only thing I would layer in over the top of all of that really builds off what I had to make it and task myself with achieving when I ran my own business, which is just understanding the details because understanding the details is the difference between winning and losing in both commercial and procurement. If you procure something and you are blind to a certain facet to how a particular product works or how the stakeholders will use it or how even the vendor is selling it and the nuance between what a salesperson and what a technologist says in the same company, just understanding that tiny nuance and picking into it and understanding it will be the difference between you contracting with a good supplier and one that's going to let you down. Um, and and that's why I I love what I do because I I enjoy getting involved in the details. But equally, I need to then be able to zoom back out to a very high level to be able to you know take the right decisions at, at a global level. And, and and we'll come back to that later on that kind of detail piece. But uh, whenever I talk to people, clients, friends, um, marketing people, agencies about uh, you know how do you, how do you become a great negotiator? Mm-hmm. One of the things is preparation. And preparation yeah. requires digging into the detail. It you know, really over, does. Over eighty percent of the value in the negotiation comes out of the prep. Yes. And if you don't understand the detail, you haven't prepared well. So again, that will come back as a theme throughout this discussion. But the next kind of like topic, I guess, just want to like just touch on is um, so you're talking about specialisms a lot, mm-hmm. uh, and I read uh, your blog recently uh, that you put on LinkedIn, and you talk about that uh, in some detail. So obviously, that was that really interesting from a kind of commercial and procurement perspective. Mm-hmm. 
um, the way we need to celebrate specialisms. What, yeah. what do you mean by that, celebrating specialisms? So I think, and I, and I think back really to the cool kids and those kids who, you know, were called nerds at school in our, in our era, right? Things are handled very differently now and people celebrate people who have, you know, different cognitive um, and psychological compositions. And I think neurodiversity is something which is increasingly recognized as an absolutely critical component to society. Um, I've got good friends who are neurodiverse. Uh, I have members of my family who are neurodiverse. I have a great number of people in my organization, in my team who are neurodiverse. Um, I think specialists, and I will, I will describe the intersection of specialisms as, as this. They're people who make it a point of pride to be a nerd, as was known in, in our day, but they know their subject matter better than anyone. And I think I'm a specialist. You're a specialist. Exactly. We, we serve specialists the world over. Yep. And I think as long as we recognize that everyone performs a specialist role, and it doesn't matter whether they're a CMO or whether they are a paid search analyst or whether they're a multiple regression um, data scientist, um, we are all specialisms and brought together and harnessed in the right way. They're just so powerful. And where that, for me, really sort of started to take root as a thought is I mentioned earlier that I started running to keep the COVID wolves from the door. Well, and I do a lot of my thinking when I'm running. And when I did that Beast of the Blacks 65K run, I had 10 hours out on a very, very wet, snowy, windy, cold Welsh mountainside to do some thinking. And I did a lot of training for that. And I was trained by specialists. So I was trained by two ultra runners, Danny and Mark, um, who've done some incredible things. But they got me over the finish line. And, and I wouldn't have even got to the start line if they hadn't been there sort of training me. You know, I used so many different pieces of specialist kit when I did that run from carbon fell running poles to, you know, mud claw trainers from Innovate to thermal lined, you know, underlayers from Montaigne to every type and manner of specialist fuel from mountain fuel. And these are all things created by specialists to allow another specialist, an ultra runner in this case, to succeed. And it got me to the start line, the finish line, and out the other side, and now waxing lyrical about what a fun experience I had. It could have been absolutely shocking, and I would have been a DNF or did not finish if I'd not had specialism supporting me. And that got me sort of reflecting on the work, Mike, that you do and that I do as specialists in procurement or commercial. We rely on specialisms to do our role. We serve specialists across our industry and I think specialisms is something that we should all celebrate. We wouldn't be where we are without them. We know where they are and who they are. And I think we should all celebrate that because, you know, together we're stronger and we couldn't do it without their good work. So that's Absolutely. where all that came from, right? And in fact, um, <laughs> our son, I would say, is a specialist in Lego. He loves oh, it. <laughs> he should hang out with my son. <laughs> really? Oh, my, son's, my son's special skill is definitely Lego. Um, so they should hang out. <laughs> they should definitely hang out. <laughs> and who knows where that will take them. 
Yeah, indeed. Um, let's let's bring it to life with some examples. So, you know, what does being a specialist in our industry look like? So, okay, so a really a really good example of this is when you step back and think about the sort of eye-watering pace of change in marketing communications, and you go through um, the shifts that we've seen through the noughties as we moved into the digital era and the creation of FANG and then the advent of programmatic and then the influencer economy and e-commerce and then moving into you know, Web3 with NFTs and blockchain. Things move just so terrifyingly quickly. And as procurement leaders and as commercial specialists, it's, it's our job to stay ahead of the game in terms of understanding what these emerging and new opportunities are in order to serve our stakeholders, CMOs, um, most effectively. Because if we don't understand them, we can't serve them effectively. And I think a really good example of this is is actually one of the points I've just made, which is around, you know, Web3, right? So in Q1 of, of last year, we suddenly started to get as, a, as an organization a whole raft of briefs from clients wanting to uh, run trials and tests, which are Web3-based. So whether it was a build in the metaverse or minting an NFT or trialing a, a new loyalty program using uh, crypto assets and NFTs as a, as a lever and flywheel to that. These were all things that we were reading and going, what even is this, right? What, what are we being even asked to do? <laughs> and, and in fact, invariably, we were being asked to do things that the issuer wasn't quite clear what they were asking themselves. That's really clear there, right? Um but what we very rapidly had to do as an organization, and this does sit now across the intersection of both commercial and procurement, is quite rapidly get across what NFTs are, what the blockchain is, how it can serve marketeers, what the real use case scenarios are actually going to be, and also what the opportunities and also risks are in this space, right? Because you know, we've all seen the rapid, rapid demise of large crypto exchanges, which overnight can wipe hundreds of millions of pounds off, um, you know, balance sheets. And you've seen the massive fluctuations you get in FX between, you know, fiat currencies like, you know, the dollar and and b- blockchain currencies like Bitcoin, right? And And they can have a 10x gearing versus what stable fiat currencies can have in terms of fluctuations. And, you know, all of these things present risks. They present risks. And so if you're a marketeer and you're trialing a, a an NFT program and you're being exposed to uh, blockchain, cryptocurrencies, NFTs, you're basically leveraging things which will sit on your balance sheet, which your CFO and your head of treasury and your head of risk should understand because if they don't understand it, you'll get to year end and you'll have a blockchain built, metaverse build, which you've maybe spent a quarter of a million dollars on, which you'll have no way of valuing because it's an asset which the auditors haven't yet decided how they're going to treat it. Yeah, because exactly. it's, it's not a regulated asset. Yep. And so, I mean, we've all seen what happens to businesses when they fail order. Exactly. Um, 
or even just are late in filing, yep. right? Which can happen with the same. And so, yep. you know, all of these things really come full circle to say, well, we have to bring the subject matter experts, the specialists, you know, the people who understand how to mint NFTs in our organization round a table. And we ran a really very detailed procurement exercise to build a Web3 tech stack. So right. our clients don't have to, right? And actually, a lot of clients do come to us asking us just to talk to, you know, their legal leads, their finance leads, their treasury leads, their marketing leads about what we've done in this space. Because obviously, we can't advise other businesses and how they should operate. What we can do is just share what we've done, the journey we've been on, and why we've set ourselves up the way that we have. And I think that's that's a really good example of how, you know, being across uh, a part of our industry in a really deep, involved way ultimately helps serve our clients and our stakeholders more effectively, right? Absolutely. And uh, something that you mentioned um, quite a bit there is around risk management. And when I talk to agency leaders, um, this wasn't something we scripted, but just like a thought as, as we go through it, was um, the role of procurement is to manage risk. Yeah. Not its only role. There are at least five or six roles I can think of. But one of them is to manage risk. Totally. And I think agencies forget or choose to not remember that when they're talking to their client procurement people, they need to be thinking through a lens of how do I help this person manage the risk of this particular program? Because if you can't do that, you leave it to them to work it out. And in the environment you've just described, that's really tricky. You're you're absolutely right, Mike. And and I agree wholeheartedly with everything you've just said. In fact, I've got very little to build on it other than to say we are going to be, you know, covering this in greater, greater depth at a marketing procurement event in June. Um, but I think it's it's an area managing risk is a huge facet to my role. Um I I I sit on our global risk committee and and I'm responsible for a number of risks on it. Um, and, and equally, every time we approach the procurement of services that are built around whether they're technology or whether they're through third-party vendors or our own organization, we always do that through the lens of, lens of how can we manage risk in this environment? Because if you don't do that in the right way, you're opening all stakeholders up to the same. Um, so lo- love what you say there. So... Um... Next thing just to touch on uh, is around yeah, bringing this back to the art of negotiations, the art and the science, because as we both know, it is both. There is an art mm-hmm. and there is a science to it. How has this kind of showed up in your organization? So I think the way that we've approached that is fairly systematically through those three lenses of client first, understanding the details, and then, and then stakeholder management and mapping. And we follow that fairly routinely, actually. And so when, when you think about how you could use the same example of, of how we approach the development of our Web3 tech stack, getting into the detail of understanding the details, for example, one of the elements to that tech stack is indirect and direct screening, which, which is a very technical layer of technology which basically allows us when we are um, 
managing exchanges of digital assets over our platform, we can look back one, two, three, four, five, or even six layers to see where that asset has come from. And if it touches, for example, an OFAC mentioned or labeled sanctioned market, or it's come from a known money laundering entity, we can put a stop on it, right? And that's so cool, right? So, so the, the visuals that you get on the platform look a little bit like the synapses on a brain and suddenly you get a red pinpoint that says you've got a problem. Now, that's a really powerful piece of technology. And when we got down to the final two vendors in this space, the salesperson was clear that there was an API that enabled us to do this at scale across every transaction that we ran. Whereas the technologist was clear that this wouldn't be online and available for at least nine months because it was still in beta testing. We had those two meetings as two separate environments. And it was just that single piece of detail that allowed us to deselect them as an individual and select the vendor that we ultimately went with. And so, you know, how, how does that show up in terms of negotiation? It's knowing the details. It's managing to the needs of your stakeholders, who in this case is our general counsel and our head of global cybersecurity to make sure that we've got the right technology in place to protect us against OFAC and money laundering entities. Um, and then making sure that ultimately we're doing all of this so that our clients don't have to, right? Because that's ultimately the role of agencies. It's, it's to ensure that we bring together our aggregation of specialists in order to provide a service that a client could never achieve on its own. Um, and that's one of the great fun things of working in a business like Dentsu. <laughs> so uh, we're heading towards the end. Uh, and this is amazing. Um, I, I really haven't, I, I haven't thought about a lot of this before at all, but I will now around the uh, NFTs and around Web 3.0. But just, just let's go back for a second to, before we close, a couple of words on stakeholders. So rounding out your kind of three key considerations for mm. being a world-class procurement or commercial specialist, kind of after client first and the details, just talk about stakeholders. Yeah, so look, we've all got them. We have stakeholders at home. We, we, we have stakeholders in society. We have stakeholders in our clients and we have stakeholders in our own organization. And in fact, consumers are stakeholders in all of the above. Yes. Um, managing stakeholders as a holistic concept, I think, is absolutely critical. But certainly in terms of how you operate from a commercial or a procurement perspective, we all know that stakeholder mapping and stakeholder management and the management of communications is just so, so important. Um, so I do a lot of training at, at Dentsu around sales um, and and commercials and one of the things that we we work a lot from is client first and stakeholder mapping. And actually, we use narratives a lot to ensure that you get alignment, you force alignment um, of thinking, not by making people think a different way, but, but by ensuring that all of the relevant specialists and stakeholders contribute towards the development of a particular narrative. And if you can get clarity over that and get alignment between the stakeholders involved in a process you'll just be more powerful as a, as a negotiating organization because you're just more joined up, right? 
And if you can then clearly put client first and ensure that all of the needs of the stakeholders you're talking to ultimately are the beneficiary of every single thing that comes out of your mouth, you'll be more effective um, and as a result. And so I think I do think stakeholders is such a critical part of how you negotiate and frankly run businesses in general. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. And, and in fact, just the only thing I'd add to that is around understanding the motivations of stakeholders, not just their um, stated needs or demands. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's complex to understand. Isn't it? Isn't it just? <laughs> so, funny moments. So, do you have any funny moments in negotiations you'd like to share or can share? Um, so, look, I've, I've got many that I can't. Yes. Um, but the one I would share was actually going back some years now. Um, and we were working with a, uh, a US software company. Um, and they were looking to launch a campaign across three markets in Europe, one of which was France and another one was Germany. And the campaign they were looking to run had effectively, I'll, I'll use the word borrowed, uh, but it was it was basically stolen from one of their direct competitors in type font, in layout, and the only thing they changed were the names of the companies in it. And they directly referenced their competitor in this creative execution. And and they wanted to run this in, as I say, France and Germany. And we, we made it really clear to this CMO that advertising in, advertising laws in Germany and France explicitly preclude you from doing this. You cannot mention a competitor's brand, let alone rip off their advertising um, in France and Germany. And anyway, he, he took exception to this and flew over and demanded we set up meetings with all of the leading national press and TV uh, broadcast salespeople in uh, in the market. And we met with the, the French general counsel of this organization in uh, a boardroom in La Défense in Paris. And we had a series of very clear meetings. And in each meeting, the French lawyer and myself both agreed and aligned that there was no way we could run this campaign and none of the media would run it, frankly. Yes. We got we got to the end of this series of meetings and this uh this godfather-like scene then unfolded where oh dear. The, the CMO slowly stood up, walked behind the French lawyer, slowly took off his jacket, and then slammed it down on the table next to him and fired him. Uh, wow. and, and told him on no uncertain terms would he ever work for this company again. Uh, the poor French lawyer was left to leave the room, leaving myself and this um, <laughs> this American CMO. And, um, and and I, I was then left to then head back to the UK. Um, <laughs> but it was uh, it was an absolutely remarkable uh, chain of events that I will never ever forget. Um, but it took it took negotiation to a completely different level because however many times we told him it was not going to happen, he was absolutely <laughs> adamant it was. Um, but anyway, it was a it was a very entertaining chain of events. And I talk a lot to clients about the psychology of negotiation, and people think they're just caricatures that never occur. But every time I talk to very experienced senior people like yourself, there's always a story, and there's normally a psychology, and there's a caricature in it. And it's real and it happens. So it does still exist um, for better or for worse. So, agreed. 
Um, how do you prepare for a negotiation? Sort of what have you learned that's an easy to apply technique or template? Put the client first. Mm-hmm. Before you put pen to paper or even consider putting forward a proposition, make sure you really, really understand what that client wants to achieve. And that doesn't matter if it's some, someone, you're, a supplier, someone you're trying to negotiate with, or if it's a client and someone you're trying to win something from. You have to, in the first few words that come out of your mouth, nail to the wall what it is they want to hear. Yep. Because if you can give them an insight that they didn't otherwise know that you're going to be unlock, able to unlock, you will be more successful. So client first. Before you get there to your 80% of the time is preparation, make sure you understand all of the stakeholders, map them, understand their needs, understand their fears, and bring those all together in the proposition that you put forwards. Um, and then the final one is one that we've touched a lot of detail on today, which is just know your subject matter, really make sure you properly understand the details and have got the subject matter experts behind you to provide you with the relevant depth and breadth of information you need to be able to articulate what it is you're trying to do. And then I guess I'd wrap all of that up in, in any business situation, the ability to be able to clearly articulate yourself is, is important. And not everyone can do this well. Um, but I think I, I always refer back to Aristotle and he, very many people say that, oh, Aristotle was the king of narrative. Well, his philosophy was tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them what you told them. And actually, if you follow that mantra, it, it brings a simplicity to how you articulate things, but also helps you manage stakeholders over time, which just means there's no surprises. And, and I think that's a really nice way to approach negotiations and processes in general. Excellent. So, Anthony, just kind of one reflection on the entire discussion before we close um, around imagine, you know, someone listening to this episode, um, whoever's listening at the moment, um, Imagine if you're negotiating with Anthony, just listening to how much preparation you and your team do. If you're on the other side of a deal and Anthony, they're negotiating with you, if they haven't prepared and they haven't understood the detail and they haven't aligned their stakeholders um, and they haven't put the client first, they're going to come off worse. They just are. So my advice to everyone listening is do what Anthony says. (laughs) Prepare well, you know, client first, details, uh, manager stakeholders. And um, uh, Anthony, it's been a complete and utter pleasure. Uh, thank you ever so much for being a guest. Thank you for taking time out of your, I, I know, unbelievably busy schedule. Um, where can people find out more about you and Dentsu International? So either go to my LinkedIn page directly and IM me there uh, or just come through, uh, come through our website and um, love to hear from you. Anthony, thank you ever so much indeed. Not at all, Mike. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Drum Podcast series on Negotiation Insights with your host, Mike Lander. Please subscribe so that you'll catch the next episodes from our global marketing industry experts.